very reassuring when the bit on the back says what I thought I was reading, so that's good. Our reading today comes from Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? <laughs> Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing on it, would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Hope. Um, when we began this uh, sermon series uh, a few uh, weeks ago, we didn't know what was going to uh, happen on Monday. The two enormous earthquakes ripping through Turkey and Syria. And can I just say, I'd encourage you, if you haven't given already, the DEC, the Disasters Emergency Committee, is the best way to make a difference really quickly. Uh, they need jumpers, but not yours. We, I mean, there's not time logistically to do that. Giving money is where it's at. So there's a basket there, but we'd much rather not be a clearinghouse, but if you've got spare money, put it there, and we will do that for you, because it really matters. There's such heartbreak there. Um, but we know that, I mean, there's been some amazing, miraculous stories, haven't there? There was that little girl called Miracle. I mean, it just was a miracle that she survived when all her family were killed, actually born under the rubble. Uh, heartbreaking. But not just for her, for every child who survives this, you know they will remember this for the rest of their lives. And I'm guessing most of you could remember maybe an early moment of trauma in your household and you know actually you will take it to the grave. You'll just always remember something that happened because it sticks with you as such a vivid memory. And two and a half thousand years ago, that's exactly how it was for the people of Israel because their walls, like this, were just completely flattened and destroyed. Um, not by an earthquake, a natural disaster, although it's quite unnatural when people are made to live in inappropriate areas and they're bombed by their own government, as in North Syria. And often, of course, in insurance terms, it's called acts of God. I think this was not God's planning. I know it's a huge topic. But like when you see people who are victims of flood, why are people made to live in inappropriate floodplains in Bangladesh and many other countries? And so it's often to do with human wickedness and greed and power that makes it so much worse. 
But for the Israelites, it wasn't a natural disaster. It was an unnatural, cruel disaster by violent enemies who hated them. I don't know that I've ever hated anyone. I'm just not very good at hating, I think. I find people frustrating and irritating, especially if they're in my family. But hatred, I find just weird. I, I don't understand how people can be deliberately cruel, but it happens a lot. Um, so how does Nehemiah respond? First of all, we saw he just sits and weeps. He is so broken by it. But it then gives way to praying heartfelt prayers. Come on, God, where are you? And actually, you might think, well, that's a bit cheeky. God's got very broad shoulders. He's not intimidated by big prayers. He loves it when people, because they have faith, call out strongly. And that then leads Nehemiah into asking help from people who have capacity. The king, he goes right to the top and says, could, we could do with a bit of your help, actually, king. And amazingly, his boldness is rewarded. And then last week, we were thinking about making a start. How do you actually start this massive task, just as the people are doing in uh, Turkey and Syria at the moment? So that's where we've got to in the story. But as soon as they start, they have to learn how to resist discouragement. Because immediately their enemies, their critics, close in, and what do they say? I mean, they're trying to put them off their game of this big plan. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their... Well, we've just heard the reading. It's all pouring scorn on their ideas. And we're just going to look at those briefly. The specific discouragements are insults, pouring cold water on their ideas, and sarcasm. Now, you chose your own name badge, apart from Katie, who was given one that, by her daughter, I think. But uh, can I just ask, did any of you put on the wrong name? You just decided to be naughty. You are in church. Okay, so you chose what you wanted to be known by uh, today. How many of you have been called other unkind names by other people? Well, that's not many honest people here. Then <laughs> I'd have thought everyone did. But um, being called names is, is horrible if they're nasty names. And what are those feeble Jews doing? That was the insult. They're just called to, you're feeble, you're pathetic. I wonder how many words like that have been spoken over you. Your name is not this, you're this, giving you, making you doubt your identity. So being given names that are unkind. And then the second part is pouring cold water on ideas. Will you restore your... Well, do you think you can do that? Will they offer sacrifices? you think this place is ever going to be used for worship again? And will you finish in a day? In fact, the, the Hebrew there really literally means, uh, do you think God's just going to do it for you then? Is it going to be a miracle? And then the last one there, can they bring stones back to life? The actual meaning is there, is it going to be resurrection? Are you nuts? Do you believe in resurrection? Who would ever believe that? 
is nonsense. So there's this insult, and then to add it to that is cold water. Now, can I ask, quick show of hands, how many of you have ever had a bright idea, you're quite excited about something, and you share it with someone, and it's suddenly like the ice bucket challenge? <laughs> have, have you ever experienced that? It, turn to your neighbor, say what that feels like. Okay, so you were expecting the person to catch your enthusiasm and instead you catch a cold. One of the things we try and guard in our staff team, we have a, a, a Wednesday morning meeting where we share things and I try and guard myself and I, I think we all do because someone could say, hey, what, why don't we try this? And it's so easy to say, no, we tried that, it doesn't work. And I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I want to poke them in the eye because it's so irritating. Well, we haven't tried it today. You know, and, and so we've got to guard ourselves from uh, being the ice bucket to someone else's idea. But they're deliberately doing it. They're trying to put them off. And it's sort of like uh, the opposite of Bob the Builder. Can we fix it? No, you can't. This will never, ever work. Um, and finally, sarcasm. Verse three, Tobiah, the Ammonite. I thought those were little shells in the Jurassic Coast, but anyway. Even a fox climbing on your wall would knock it over. Sarcasm. If you want to know a little bit of Greek, this is nice. Sark is the Greek word for flesh. Chasm to tear. If you are sarcastic, you tear someone's flesh. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but a steamroller is much quicker. Um, you know, words can hurt. Words can tear flesh. And some of us can be very quick or very mean with our words. It's unkind. It's not Jesus' way. Because it all discourages. Now, how does Nehemiah respond to the insults, the cold water, and the sarcasm? First of all, he prays. First of all, he says, oh, God, can't you hear these insults? Um, we could do with a bit more help. And then secondly, he just keeps on building anyway. He didn't let it distract him. And I honor that. I like that. How can he do it? I think the key is verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till half, all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart, or literally the Hebrew is, had a heart to do it. There was something about the heart that enabled the work to continue. So our theme today is resisting discouragement. And as you know, I love words. I like the word courage. If you discourage, dis means literally to remove or separate from, and it comes from kur, the heart. You take someone's heart from them in some way is to discourage, whereas to encourage, you put new heart in them. How do we sort of resist discouragement? 
And I think I'd like to share three things that helped me in that process. And we're all going to need it to get through, I think. So someone at the 9.30 service got this question right. I'll be very impressed if you... Anyone know who that might be? Oh, three rounds of applause. Just three. Okay, so he's known, he's one of the few regnal kings of England, Richard I. And he's very rarely called Richard I, he's usually called Richard the Lion Heart. And he was given that name by his troops during his own lifetime. Because rather than sitting behind his walls, he was leading the charge. Can I say he was not an entirely good king? After he was uh, made king, uh, he reigned for over 30 years, only actually spent six months in England. Uh, so he's away quite a lot, doing really bad things in the main. Um, but the one thing I do like, and he was very anti-Semitic, for which he will face God's judgment, but he was brave. And that's the only thing I really want to take from it. So he's buried in France, uh, but his men loved him because he was their sort of leader. If you're going into battle, I'll follow the lion-hearted one. That's the sort of leader you would sort of literally could get be behind. And I just want to say, if you find you are prone to fear, and there's been times in my life I have been, I've been helped by God. I think God wants to give us courage, courage, instead of our place of fear. God can put new heart into you. And one of the, um, I, I'd encourage you to read the Psalms, they're full of encouraging things. <coughs> but Psalm 18, I won't read it all, it's quite long, but there's so much to give you heart and hope. And uh, one of the rather niche verses in it, verse 29. For in you I can charge an army, and with my God I can scale a wall. I can take it on. I will not be intimidated. I'm not going to be afraid because God's with me. In the King James translation of that, uh, it says, with my God I can leap over a wall. And I thought, what? I remember reading that when I was young, and that what? But now I get it. With God, we're going to be able to do exploits that we'd never be able to do by ourselves or in our own strength. So God wants to give us that sort of courage. Soak in his word. Learn verses that strengthen you. Secondly, I thought I needed to point out, I used to be a sweet little boy. Several people on my way in today, or as they were coming in, said, oh, you're supporting the rugby then. No, this is just a crew top. I mean, I, don't, I, can't, I can't play rugby. I can commentate on other people's games with great enthusiasm. But I couldn't play. Um, but I used to be a sweet little boy. And um, I, <laughs> I just knew there was going to be an R. So that's my big sister, Michelle. Uh, and we grew up on that farm. It was a, a very happy uh, childhood there in Guernsey. But we used to go to a, a little Pentecostal church. And I don't know if the minister 
felt he, it was time to punish the congregation. But he said he asked Michelle and I to sing a duet to the church when I was eight and she was 11. And um, I couldn't read English, let alone music, but I, I could hear harmonies, so I often harmonize, just that's how I tend to sing. It's called the wrong note, really. Um, but uh, it seems to work sometimes. Um, and I, we were made to sing a, an old hymn that I'd never heard of before. And though I was eight, I learned the words off by heart very quickly. And to this day, I can still remember the words off by heart. It's weird, that sort of stuff, I think. And they're words by someone who was told they had to stop talking and preaching about Jesus. And this was a brave man. He was good with words, but he refused. And so he was put in jail for 12 years in Bedford. Do you know his name? John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. A pilgrim is someone walking side by side with Jesus, getting to know him better. And so, these were the words I learned. This is the original, not the one we tend to sing from the uh, uh, 100 years ago. Who would truth valor see? Let him come hither. In modern speak, you think you're hard? Come on then. One here will constant be, come wind, come weather. There's no discouragement shall make him once relent. He's not going to change his mind over this. His first avowed intent, I've made a choice, I'm going to follow Jesus to be a pilgrim. Second verse, whoso beset him round with dismal stories. What are the stories people are telling you? In our culture, I've met quite a few young people who are borderline suffering from depression when they look at the world on, on green issues, on any number of issues. The stories, but the way we tell it makes a difference to how we... There's such existential angst over... It's also terrible. It's going to hell. Even people who don't have theology of hell feel that weight of it. Do but themselves confound his strength the more is. God's up for it. He's still on the throne. No lion can him fright. Que de Lyon. He'll with a giant fight. You think you're bigger than me? But he will have a right to be a pilgrim. He's just going to keep going. My favorite, and this is normally the one verse that's changed most, but I love it. Hobgoblin. Product placement. <laughs> now, a hobgoblin is a demonic spirit that might live in your house. That's how it was viewed uh, 400 years ago. And a, fee, a foul fiend, so some spiritual force, can daunt his spirit. If you're afraid of things, whether it's natural or supernatural, he knows he at the end shall life inherit. I've read the end of the book. I know who wins. Then fancies which are fantasies, mind games. These are old words, but it's completely up to date now. Flee away. I'll fear not what men say. What, I don't care what other people say. He'll labor night and day to be a pilgrim. Now, I was a very 
timid child. Did you see that in the photo? At least I had my big sister. But something of the spirit of John Bunyan has seeped into my soul through knowing these words. I'd encourage you to do that, to hear the stories of hope and truth, because those are the stories that are shaping you and the person trusting in God. And so that's the second point. Third point, just say, a few years ago I preached from Joshua 1, verse 9. It's a great, great passage. So Moses is dead, and then God says, come on, go and take hold of the land. And the people are all scared, but Joshua leads them in to, uh, to do that task. And after I preached my heart out on it, a dear lady from my last church gave me a gift. If you uh, come to our home, which you are very welcome to do, during daylight hours is best, <coughs> that um, 52 Park Lane, just uh, down there, to the left-hand side of the door, you might see a little stone. And the close-up is Joshua 1, verse 9. God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. <coughs> I, let that verse do good stuff in you. Jesus later said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So long before Jerry and the pacemakers, you'll never walk alone. Jesus is with you. So in closing, <coughs> I'm closing. I always had, had lots more to say, but I'm losing my voice. <coughs> um, are you secure in your name? Are you okay with the person God's made you? And God says to you what he says uh, to Jesus. You are my child. I love you. I'm so pleased with you. I wish every Christian believed that and knew that in their soul. Because the world will be changed not by churches full of Christians, but by Christians filled with the Spirit of Jesus, knowing that sort of courage so that we are salt and light in the world. Are you secure in your identity? You're a beloved child of God. Secondly, I just want to say probably more to me than anyone else. Can you avoid hurting others <coughs> with insults, cold water, and sarcasm? I used to be really enjoy being sarcastic. It can be fun, but it's so destructive. And then thirdly, can we grow our resilience? Can we come to Jesus for a new heart, for encouragement, and grow our resilience through knowing him?